Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundirat, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. This week, it's my birthday, and I somehow agreed to let Matt Boris hijack my show and interview me because he insists that people want to hear it. Uh, but I'm a data guy, so we'll see what the analytics have to say in about a week or so. But self-deprecation aside, uh, thank you for your continued support. I am incredibly grateful that you listen to this podcast. Uh, the best gift you could give me uh, for my birthday is to go register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on October 23rd and come up to the Twin Cities and lift with me and the people who I've interviewed on the show and meet this wonderful community of people that would be the most amazing thing that you could do uh just go to our website twincitieskettableclub.com for details uh and if you haven't already please be sure to leave a review and rating of the platform podcast in your app of choice and support my work by supporting our sponsors whose links you'll find in the episode notes and don't forget if you want to step onto the platform and compete in gettable sport please reach out to me I help athletes of all levels reach their goals without wasting time using my integrated online coaching approach. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now, let's step onto the platform with me, Jordan Cundy wright Thank you again for listening, and I truly appreciate your indulgence. My name is Matt Boris, and I have just hijacked the Platform Podcast. Today, I will be giving everyone what they deeply wanted. I'm going to interview Jordan Wright, the founder and head coach of the Twin City Kettlebell Club and founder of this podcast. Everyone, welcome Jordan. Thank you, Matt, for welcoming me into my own podcast. This is weird. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for letting me uh, hijack the podcast on behalf of all the listeners that uh, have been listening to your podcast. And uh, we've uh, had some questions for you and really just wanted to uh, subject you to the same process that you've given to us about uh, everything. So uh, thank you for allowing us to do this because I know you're uh, basically getting ready for a little vacation and kind of checked out of everything. Yeah, it's uh, it's been God, over over a year now that we've been in lockdown and we're coming up on a year of the platform podcast too. And uh, my wife just finished uh, her graduate program for, for nursing school. So we had, we had talked about this a long time ago that when, whenever she graduated, we were taking, we were taking a family trip somewhere so that we could uh, celebrate her accomplishment. So we're going to go spend a week on the beach in Florida, which is great. We're all fully vaccinated and uh, get to, get to wander down and uh i'm, I'm actually going to see bobby hicks while we're down there i think oh that's, uh, that's so fantastic that's the plan so well congratulations on that and congratulations to her i mean going through a graduate degree program during a pandemic with everything that is um someone that went through grad school during peacetime i can't even imagine and, and she and she worked in in an emergency room 
throughout that entire pandemic as a, as an emergency room technician that entire time as well. So she, she was on the front lines during the, in the pandemic while also going to nursing school for, <laughs> so she's, she's a wonder woman in my, uh, in my basic opinion. I think she well fits the definition. So basically during this whole vacation, you're doing stuff with the kids. She's locking herself in a soundproof room and sleeping. I, that would she would probably love that, but she's gonna say she needs to study for the NCLEX at least a oh couple of hours a day because she still has the she still has the licensure <laughs> exam to take. So um, she will, uh, but I will do my damnedest to make sure that she sleeps, uh, eats well, sits on the beach, and relaxes as much as is humanly possible. As much as I can facilitate that from her, which is uh, not her strong suit. Uh, she has an unquiet mind, just like I have, and she is way more of an overachiever than I am, obviously. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding there. So um, I, I will do the best I can to facilitate that. But yeah. Well, every once in a while, you might have to rip a book out of her hand, replace it with a drink and just go from there. You just set the drink next to the book and, you know, whichever she picks up is probably the right choice for her in the moment. Oh my God. That's, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Her. That's fantastic. And it's great for your family too. So, um, so a lot of us have gotten to know you through listening to the podcast and, you know, obviously me and you have had a chance to talk, you know, we are a part of the uh, Canadian kettlebell. Was it a coalition that you were group. So, you know, we've all had the chance to do that. And, um, but, you know, I think what a lot of us are really interested in, you've done such a great job with the podcast and you've introduced us to so many people and really gotten to a lot of who they are and what they are and how they train. And, you know, I know personally, I've taken a lot of inspiration and a lot of notes and things from it. So I really just want to be able to get everyone to have a chance to really learn a lot about you all in one spot instead of, you know, us piecing it together through everything. So uh, I think really maybe we would start off with, you know, you just mentioned your wife and the amazing accomplishment. Tell us about your family. We, we've got bits and pieces, but give us the full, the full yeah. picture. Yeah. So, uh, so, well, we'll start with, with just the, my, my immediate family, uh, is my wife, Stephanie. Um, we've been married for, uh, 13 years, uh, in August. Um, so back in, back in, uh, 2008 we got married here in the twin cities actually um okay we've, we've been together for for over 15 years now <clears throat> met in college or university for those of you in the uh in in canada or europe you need to call it university uh, <laughs> we, we met at university um we actually went to the same elementary school though but we never met really? each other yeah so that's an odd just odd coincidence which there's a lot of those weird coincidences throughout our throughout our path together but uh yeah so uh <laughs> i lived in moorhead minnesota for a few years um, and went to Probesfield Elementary and my wife is born and bred and lived in Probesfield Elementary her entire or Probes, uh, she went to Probesfield Elementary she was born and bred in Moorhead Minnesota and lived there her whole life until she went to college so very different past like she moved one time in her entire childhood I moved like 10 times before I graduated high school, but one of them happened to be Moorhead, Minnesota. <laughs> we went to the same elementary school, um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, we have two, we have two wonderful kids. My daughter Kira is going to be seven in August and my son Rowan is uh, five. He tur just turned five in March. Oh my um, gosh. Seven to five year old. 
yeah, they're 19 months apart. So, uh, that was, that was one of those, uh, you know, we, we had the first, we had the first one, uh, and then we were having the conversation about like, well, do we put the goalie back in the net or do we keep the goalie pulled or, you know, you know, and we're like, well, it took us, took us a little while with the first one. So we'll just, let's just see we'll just let it happen as it happens. <laughs> and like literally, literally the, the day of my daughter's one year birthday. So when Kira was turning one, as we're in our third floor walk up in Chicago and my parents are like parking their car and coming and coming up the stairs to our third floor walk up in Chicago, I hear maniacal laughter from the bathroom um, in, our, oh. in our apartment. And my, my wife is laughing because she just took a pregnancy test and we're, we're pregnant with our, our second child. So, uh, so yes, we've got, we've got two kids, uh, you know, they're not quite Irish twins, but they're about as close as we could manage. So, you know, 19 months apart is, is pretty close, which is, which is great. They're, they're great kids. They, they love each other and they play with each other and we've got a boy and a girl. And so, you know, uh, the, the debate rages on whether or not to have a third one or not. And, you know, uh, but we'll, well, no, you have, you have a kettlebell team. That's like another four kids right there. Yeah. It, it, but they it, talk it ages me at least a decade every every you know 12 months so <laughs> yeah yeah no okay well that's fantastic how is uh how's everything been with uh lockdown with two young kids uh mostly good mostly good like you know i i i try i try and keep a perspective of gratitude on the whole thing which is important for me and i i try and do that with everything because of course it's hard but it's hard for everybody right now you know and i but i try and be like nobody that I know or love has, has, has died or had severe complications from it. Like we're 95% certain that my wife got COVID like in March of last year because she was, oh my God. In, in, because she was in the ER treating people and like, she was sick for like a month. You know, uh, I slept in the basement in my office to, to, to separate, you know, to, to decrease my risk, you know, but um, you know, but all that said, like she's okay. Our kids are okay. My parents are okay. Her parents are okay. (laughs) Like, so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like I try and keep that perspective of like, yes, this has been really fucking hard. Um, at the same same time, um, we're, we're mostly good, right? Like we both stayed gainfully employed the entire time. Um, I never got laid off. My company was completely online before this ever happened. We were hundred percent remote. So my job was never in jeopardy because I couldn't go to an office and she works in healthcare. So clearly she was, her job wasn't going anywhere either, you know? So like comparatively with, with, you know, the struggles that other people have gone through, like, yeah, it's emotionally hard and physically hard. And like, I feel, I worry about, you know, some of the impacts for our kids from a development standpoint, but like all in all, we're really lucky and things have been really, really good for us. So I I have nothing but gratitude uh, for, for how fortunate we've been throughout the whole thing. Um, You know, and, you know, for me with the, the kettlebell club was my, my saving grace throughout the whole thing, honestly, like, um, when we, when I, when I founded the club, it was, you know, 2019, it was, uh, before all of the craziness happened and it was, you know, I was going to the athlete lab and teaching like one day a week out of the athlete lab. And, and I had, you know, Greg Anderson, shout out to Greg, um, showed up and he was my first consistent guy that would come like, and, and come, you know, regularly. And we, we started training together and he hit CMS and snatch relatively quickly, which is awesome, you know, because he's 24 kilos. Uh, well, he's, he's in the legends category. So he was, he was at 16s and he did, he did like, 
I want to say like 240 something reps in, in with a 16 kilo. So, you know, he just came in and destroyed, <laughs> destroyed what oh he needed to. God, He's a beast. He's a, he's a beast, dude. He's so good. He's so good. But he, like he came in with, he had such a good background already with, he did a ton of, a ton of hard style training before. And he like, he, he walked a lot and does a, like a lot of nasal breathing and stuff. And like, was really like, and had martial arts background and all of these things. So he, he had a great base to, and I just had to teach him kettlebell sport and I just had to teach him some technique and he hit CMS really quickly. Now we're working to get him to MS, which is a different, a different beast because he's got to go up in weight and you know, the, the hard style technique doesn't translate as well to the heavier bells. Right. Nope. So he's, he's got a, he's got a, he's got to rework some of his technique, but he's, he's awesome, you know? And so, but it, for, for many weeks, many months, it was just me and Greg, you know, showing up and, and training together and then added another person. And then, you know, it was kind of like hit or miss. And then, but then lockdown happened and I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do? Uh, I'm like, well, fuck it. You know, the, the, the world is giving us lemons right now. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like train people for free via zoom. I don't care. Like, I just, I'm just going to do, I'm like, I just, I just want to do something positive and like, I need connection. So I'm just going to put it out there and I'm just going to like, I'm just going to train people via zoom. And so I started doing zoom classes and then like had a couple more people sign up and then, and then it was like, oh, well, if you can do it via zoom it was, and other people were locked down too. So it was like, we got Audrey from Texas and, you know, and then Nikki from Texas. And then I got another, you know, I got, you know, got Jay in, in Alaska reached out to me and, you know, it was like he, and he heard the podcast and that's how he found me was from the podcast. And, you know, so it was like, so I've got, I've got people in Texas, I've got people in Michigan, I've got people in, people in Louisiana, uh, Alaska, like all over, all over the country. And so the, the club just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's, you know, you know, between 20 and 25 people, um, you know, and at any given time and, and still growing, which is, which is fantastic. So, you know, in a, in a given session, we might have five people, we might have 15 people, we might have 10, you know, but it's, it's been awesome. And it was, uh, COVID forced the removal of the physical barrier of like, you don't have to be local to, to, to train. And it actually works really well for kettlebell sport. And I, I figured out a way to kind of train people, and I got, and I asked them, how do you want to be trained? Do you want individualized programs or do you want like everybody doing the same workout, but with different pacing and different weights and, you know, and it, it works, it's worked really well. And it's been great because, um, we get that sense of community and connection that we all kind of need right now, especially during all of this struggle. So it, it really, really helped. And it was, you know, like I said, before I got on this whole diatribe, uh, it, uh, it was really my saving grace, uh, for all of this, because it was just my attempt to like find the social connection I was missing. And, and I was fortunate that I found it with, with so many people within this community. And, uh, you know, uh, so now every time I log on to, to coach, I, you know, I know there's going to be at least a handful of people, uh, that, that are going to show up and they're going to push me and we're going to push each other. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been, fucking phenomenal honestly yeah i have to say i we've experienced the same thing too so we had a uh, my, my little team we uh we started out with a five person zoom workout because we were upset we couldn't compete together we noticed you know six weeks later we have 38 people on our zoom workout from all over canada europe this night it's the silver lining i think the kettlebell community has really just kind of stopped hey you know you don't have to be a u.s or a minnesota or a texas or a bc club or an italy club it's 
yeah, we, 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 we can all merge together. I feel, yeah, I feel, I feel like, uh, as a, as a, as a, as a business person, I'm like, God, did I misbrand this whole thing calling it the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club? Should I have just called it like the, should I have just called it like the Internet Kettlebell Club? <laughs> At least people know what your, your name is. No one understands the riddle struck, all right? So. <laughs> That's not true. Don't, don't, don't let, he, let, don't let Steve hear you say that. Oh no, we take great pride in that because if people understood, they'd run away. <laughs> so, I mean, though, that I was kind of getting my next point, like how, how strong the club's getting. So the, of the 2025 athletes, are they all competing sport? I mean, like what's the, what's the competition bracket looking like for you guys? Are they all just training for October? Like what, what do you guys kind of uh, have in mind? Uh, it's, it, it's a, it's a solid mix. I mean, I would say the majority, the majority of people do kettlebell sport. Um, but I have, I have a handful of people too, that, that are just, that are just doing uh, GPP or lifestyle coaching, nutrition coaching. Right. So there's a handful of people there that are, that are just doing that. And I actually have one local athlete here who is actually a, a high level uh, college football recruit. He's a, he's a 15, he's a 15 year old uh, tight end who is six foot four and 243 pounds. So he's uh, me. But athletic. Well, and and he's fifteen. Yeah. Um, so, right. so, um, so he's he's one of the top he's one of the top tight end recruits in the in in the state, and he'll soon probably be one of the top tight end recruits in the country. Um, he because he's he's an incredibly hard worker and incredibly talented. He's got great hands, good, you know, a lot of great things going for him. So I'm working with him on nutrition and stuff, which is great. Um, so there's you know there's a good there's a good mix, but um, we we have we have you know, a solid, you know, 15, 15 to 20 athletes that are, that are working on kettlebell sport and, and are, and are, uh, ready to, ready to compete, uh, you know, within a few months notice, um, they're, they're ready to compete at a, at a kettlebell sport, uh, competition. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going, it's going well thus far. Uh, my, my hypothesis of, of, of training has worked out well so far and, uh, everybody's performing really well they're making me super super proud because they they just they kick ass every time it's time to step on the platform oh that's amazing that's great but getting away from the gym and that i kind of want to get a little more into you so we've talked about this a lot but kind of the same question you threw at me it's take me back to six-year-old jordan and walk (laughs) me through your entire (laughs) athletic career up until kettlebell I'm going to get comfy. Okay. Uh, well, I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. No, no we want, we want the goods. Come on. I was, I was, I, I grew up in an, I grew up in an athletic family. Um, so my dad, my dad, his senior year of high school was the the number one golfer in the state of Colorado. Um, so he was a, he was a great uh, high school golfer and actually got a, a, a golf scholarship in Colorado. My mom, um, she, held or holds the hundred yard record for her track and field team back in, back in the, back in the day, they obviously it's meters now, but back then it was yards. Um, so my mom was a, like an amazing, uh, track and field athlete, very, very fast, very, and, and she has a great arm and she was a, just a, she's just a great athlete. Um, she hoarded all of that speed because I'm not that fast, but, um, (laughs) you know, I come from an athletic family. My brother, my brother, Jason, uh, is, you know, six years older than me. He was a great, he was a great soccer player and a great football player, even though he was like only five, nine, he was only like five, nine, uh, five ten, but as a court and as a quarterback, but he, he could throw the ball 
fuck, like 60 yards with his left hand and like 50 yards with his right hand. He's a phenomenal wow. athlete, just ambidextrous. And, uh, you know, he will still, t- he will still tell you that he's the best athlete in the family to this day. Um, there's often passionate, uh, disagreements about that. Um, so absolutely the- no competitiveness in your family. At all. No, none at all. My mother is the most competitive person in our family, actually. Like it's my, my mom, it doesn't matter if we're playing tic-tac-toe or, <laughs> or what, like we can't, we have a very competitive competitive family environment. My brother, JJ is the middle child. He's, uh, you know, he's not as, he's still very competitive. Don't get me wrong, but he's, he's not as asshole competitive as the rest of us can be. He's much more accommodating. Um, so not, he, not, not full trash talking during tic-tac-toe. Yeah. 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 He's much, like more com- much more accommodating, um, you know, but, uh, he's a great golfer and a great bowler and, you know, uh, he kind of, he got the raw kind of the raw end of the deal that he, he never got to, <laughs> we moved around so much that he never got to fully pursue what he was best at, which was, you know, he was a great endurance athlete and he probably would have done really, really well as a soccer player. Um, or he would have been done really well as a, as a, as a quarterback in football, had he played football, but growing up, but he, he didn't play football until high school. Uh, and, and even, even until he didn't play football until junior year of high school, because he had been a soccer player before that. And, but then we moved away from a, a school that didn't, ha- we moved to a school that didn't have a soccer team. And then he had to pick up football and uh, he was a wide receiver instead, but uh, which his problem was <laughs> that as, as, uh, as fast as my mom was and as slow as I am, JJ, JJ is only like a step or two faster than me. And I was, <laughs> I was a uh, hundred pounds heavier than him. So he, he could catch everything you threw near him, but he wasn't, he wasn't super fast as a, uh, he wasn't getting open. Yeah. Well, he, he, he got open cause he was a tactician and anything you threw knew him, but near him, he would catch. But I mean, we came from a program that ran, I mean, in my senior year, we had three 1000 yard rushers. So we, we, you can, <laughs> you can imagine how many, how many games pass- were there. 10, 10. Uh, and, and we, uh, and we, I think we had like 500 total yards passing and, you know, we were a small school, small school, Illinois football, you know, it was, it was, I had 21 kids in my graduating class or are on our football team. Excuse me, 61 kids in our graduating class, 20, 22 kids on our football team, you know, so I played both ways and, you know, et cetera. Wow. Ironman so, football. In high yeah, school. it was, yeah, it was, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of, kind of thing. But of, of that 20, of that 22 man roster, uh, like, uh, nine of us went on to play college football. So, um, you know, we were, we were a very, very good football team, um, which was fun. And I was a multi-sport athlete. I played, I played, I played football. I was, I was actually probably a better baseball player than I was a football player, even though I ended up getting, uh, I ended up getting a college football scholarship. Um, I was actually probably a better baseball player than I was a football player. I started on the varsity, uh, on the varsity baseball team. And I led my conference in, in RBIs and batting for three, three years, the three years that I played baseball, um, which was, which was cool. I, got to got to play on the on the same team as my brother he was two years ahead of me so he was a senior when I was a sophomore so we got to we got to play on the same on the same baseball team and actually we hit a home run in the same game which was cool and my dad is really kind of cool my dad said he had a dream the night before that we did that so it was actually you know it's one of those kind of weird cool I'm sure mom would have said she would have hit two well (laughs) probably yeah but uh but it was it was a really cool kind of coincidence because I think like I think JJ had like two home runs that year and I had 
more than that. So it was cool. That it, it was cool that it happened in the same, in the same game, you know, um, one of, one of his two home runs happened in the same game as, as, as mine. So, uh, it was, it was very cool. So I, I played a lot of sports. I actually was on the cheerleading team, uh, as well. Um, because okay. I didn't, I didn't play I, the one sport I didn't play in high school was, was basketball. Uh, and the reason for that was I was, by my junior year of high school, I was so focused on getting a football scholarship and getting as big and strong as I possibly could that I didn't want to gain. I wanted to gain weight in the off season and get as strong as I could and not run gassers uh, and, and lose a whole bunch of weight that I had worked hard to put on for football. Um, so I, I, I instead, uh, helped throw basket toss and do seat lifts and things like that, uh, on the cheerleading team, which came in handy when I played, when I played rugby in college, I already knew how to do lifts when it was time for lineouts. I, I already, I, I was actually very good at that. <laughs> and as the guy you were lifting, thank you for taking that seriously because you have any idea how much it sucks hitting the ground when your lifter can put you up, but not down. Oh yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that didn't happen. None of my flyers ever hit the ground. So it was was very, very important to me to make sure that that didn't happen. And we won a lot of lineouts because I knew how to lift. So that was, that was good. So you got your scholarship offer. Are you going to say the name of the school or no? Uh, Sure. Yeah. I, uh, I went to a, uh, I went to a very conservative Christian college called Olivet Nazarene University. And it was not all football because I was not that good of a football player. Um, it was, uh, it was a third for football, a third for choir and a third for academics. Um, so I, I, I happened to be, uh, a very, 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 uh, talented singer much more talented singer than i was than i was football player or anything else i was the top tenor in the state of illinois uh my junior year of high school and then i not not as well didn't do as well my my senior year but uh i was i was honors all state in choir um both my junior and senior year um yeah i remember uh sarah telling me if she ever gets on the podcast you guys are going to basically do it in song together because of that (laughs) so yeah i was i was much i was much much to my choir director chagrin, I was much more talented at singing, but much more dedicated to sports. Uh, so, um, but I, I did get a, I did get a, a, a combined full ride between those three things, but I ended up transferring away from that school because the football coach never checked with the choir director, whether it was okay for me to miss any choir rehearsals. Um, and so I was going to lose my choir scholarship um, after the first semester and they were like, no, it's fine. We'll just up your football scholarship. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like I've been a singer since I was four and I've been a football player since I was five. Um, these two parts of my personality cannot be bifurcated. I, I specifically chose this school because I could do both things. You want me to be good at this? I need to be able to do that. Yeah. Balance. life. Yeah. Balance. Balance was super important to me. And so I, I transferred away from there and went to a, a division three school called Luther college here in uh, Iowa. Um, and I did choir for all three years. I played football for the, for the remainder of. And, my- and just to backtrack on football. So were you, so high school, you played both sides. Yeah. What were you in college? In college, I was just a center. I, I only played one. So you way. played center. I played center. Yep. So yeah, I was the least athletic, um, smartest person on the offensive line. <laughs> that was. <laughs> I was about to say, because like you were responsible for the quarterback's life. Yes. Well, as much like we were talking about lifting and rugby where, you know, when I'm, you know, you're lifting that block in the air, you're responsible because you can kill him. You are responsible for protecting the, uh, yeah, so did that was, kind of 
yeah, I was, I was very, I was very, uh, I was very proud of and, uh, protective of the, my, my responsibility, uh, as, as, a, as the starting center for, for handling all of the offensive line calls and all of the audibles at the line of scrimmage. And we actually ran a no huddle offense in college. Um, so all of our play calls happened at the line of scrimmage. This, we were early to that party because this was, this was 2000, this was 2000, uh, 2003, four and five. Um, so we were, we were one of the first college teams that were, doing entirely no huddle and our offensive coordinator had actually been doing no huddle offenses for, well, he was an offensive, our head coach. Um, he was an offensive coordinator before that. And he had been doing no huddle offenses for 10 years before that he he'd been trying to do fast break football. Basically he called it tempo control football because we would go as fast as we wanted to, when we wanted to go faster, as slow as we wanted to, when we wanted to slow down the game. So, but because we were able to call our entire playbook at the line of scrimmage, um, we could, dictate the pace of the game. So we took the, we took the pace to the defense and not vice versa. Um, so I was very protective of my responsibility and right <laughs> to call all of the, to call all of the protections at the line of scrimmage uh, was a lot. That was a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I took that job very, very seriously. That was, that was something I was very proud of. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about it before and I, we're going to get into it a little bit more with your coach, but what were a lot of the traits that you had that you think made you the best at that as opposed to other linemen? I mean, despite what people think you're in the trenches, you need to be smart. Like you're not just a big guy that just pushes. I mean, if those guys get destroyed. So like, can you like, I know we're going to talk a little more about kettlebell, but I'm a big football fan. So <laughs> love to hear about what makes a great center, what makes a great omen and what did you have to use to adjust to making that kind of a system work and keeping the quarterback alive? Uh, I, I think, I think the thing that I took the most pride in was that I didn't just know the offensive line calls. I knew the route concepts. I knew the blocking schemes. I knew what, I knew what every, every player on every play was doing for the entire playbook. I knew what the X receiver was doing, what the Z receiver was doing, what the, what the tight end was doing. I knew what, I knew what F and H were doing uh, depending on formation. And then I knew all of the permutations and combinations uh, of those variations, depending on what the defensive alignment was or whether we changed uh, changed to a different formation. So if we went, if we went three wide versus two wide. And so if we had two running backs and two wide receivers in a tight end, I knew how that, change the 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 layout of a play call as opposed to if we went three wide or if we went four wide and i knew all of those combinations of permutations depending on whether the defense was in a three three five or whether we were in a three five three or whether they were in a four three or a three four or three four over four three stack like four four stack i i knew all of those things um and i i mean to be honest i studied football more than i studied anything else in in college um i i i spent hours and hours and hours watching film, studying the playbook. I knew every in and out. I like, I would tell our wide receivers whether or not they ran the right route. Um, sometimes when they came back to the, to the, to, to the huddle, uh, based on the call that had been made, I would, I would handle the line calls and the quarterback would handle some of the other, some of the other calls. And, and there were times that I, I, I called out a tight end or a wide receiver based on whether or not they did the right thing. That was, uh, I, I pride, I prided myself on knowing every single, every single responsibility of every single person on the field, no matter what was called. Um, so I, my, I, I, I was, I guess I would say I was obsessive. <laughs> That's probably what made, what made me, what made me good is, um, 
Uh, and I wasn't great. I was just good. I was never great. I never made all conference. Uh, like I was honorable mention was the highest I ever got the highest recognition I ever got in college. So I was never great. I was just good. <laughs> but uh, I, I was obsessive. I was, I was going to squeeze every last bit of uh, talent I could, I was going to, I was going to milk, I was going to milk every last ounce out of my physical ability that I could by making sure that I was never underprepared. Well, we're not even getting to the physical. That's my next question. We're just talking about the mental and psychological. After that, now you have a 320 pound guy coming straight at you and you're covering both a gaps. So kind of, we're going to get, I want to get more into how this leads into your kettlebell sport, but can you tell us, I mean, what kind of physical preparation? You said you, you did a lot to gain weight and gain muscle. You didn't want to lose that. Yeah. Can you tell us a lot about not only the preparation you did, but just give us an idea of what it takes physically to be in those trenches? Uh, I was the second strongest person on our team. Um, and I can say that unequivocally because the guy that <laughs> the guy that lined up across from me every single day was uh, an inch taller than me, 20 pounds heavier than me. And always he was just a better natural athlete than me. He was an All-American. Um, he, he was my nemesis. So Scott Romans was was a great, great football player. Um, and a great dude. He's a great human being. Um, but he was my fucking nemesis. He was my rabbit that I chased every day in practice because he was just better than me at everything. And so when I benched 455, he benched 475. When I squatted 555, he squatted six. When I, you know, it didn't matter what I did. He was just always better than me, which drove me fucking crazy, but it made us both better, um, which is great. Friendly, helpful competition. You've seen on our our group chats. My long cycle, I chase Andrew Lavoie, and I can't catch him. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, I think most of us do. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe we team up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, I mean that. That's. I mean, you know, like we we've talked a lot about this. About you know, there's competition, there's friendly competition, and 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 I think that is really what you get. You get that person that you can be friends with, but you're like. I'm coming after you. Yeah. And we, and, and then like, he's the nose guard and I'm the center. So we've lined up against each other every single day, like day yeah, in you and guys day have heard out, each other. Play, play after play. Yeah. We've hurt each other. And you know, um, you know, so there was definitely that deep level of respect because he knew I wasn't going to back down. I knew he wasn't going to back down. And, uh, you know, frankly, you know, between the two of us, we knew more often than not, he was going to win and I was not, um, but I was never going to concede that I was going to make him earn every inch of that every single day on every single snap, because I'm too stubborn and competitive to ever admit that. Uh, but now, you know, many years, many years later, I can admit that I, I knew, and he knew that he was probably going to win a lot of those matchups, but, uh, it made me better. Hopefully it made him better. Um, but, uh, I was never, I was never, I was never going to back down. Um, so I, I trained, I trained really, really hard. Um, I, I lifted hard. I mean, fuck him. I, I would say 12 months a year. I lifted hard. I ate well. Um, mostly well. <laughs> um, you know, I, I ate a ton, I had to eat a ton of calories.
Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Platform Podcast. We interrupt this interview to share some exciting updates about the prizes and sponsors for the first annual Twin Cities Kettlebell Open happening October 23rd, which we'll be hosting at the Athlete Lab here in Little Canada, Minnesota, in the heart of the Twin Cities. 27 Degrees Apparel is designing our event t-shirt and has given us a discount code TCKB10 for 10% off all of his apparel. should definitely check out uh, especially the limited edition Big Tim shirts, which are coming out to support my man Tim Boyer, who's uh, lost almost 100 pounds now. Those are only available for pre-order until May 20th, so get them while you can. Um, and as with all of the orders, um, $4 for every shirt that you purchase goes to support one of several mental health charities, uh, which you can choose when you check out, which is really, really awesome. There's a list of charities uh, that you can choose from to support um, with with your donation, which is fantastic. Uh, also, Barefoot Athletics has gift certificates for six pairs of Ursus Barefoot training shoes, my personal favorite for snatch as well as deadlift and GPP. Uh, and as I've mentioned before, Bellevator by Dennis Vasilov has given us two belts uh, to give away. Our friend Nikolai Puchlov from the Seattle Kettlebell Club is providing his new Made in the USA Pro kettlebells for competitors to try out and use on the platform if they choose, uh, as well as support from Gaspari Nutrition and others. So if you have other ideas or connections to interested sponsors, please reach out to me. And please don't forget to register for the event on our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And now let's get back into the interview. You know, what did your nutrition plan look like? Like, what were your daily intakes? I mean, I like five, six thousand calories. Um, you know, so in season, we're talking in season, in season. So when I'm doing like during two days. What I can tell you is when we would go to the cafeteria during two days, um, you know, you're on the, you're on the meal plan. So you can just eat whatever, whatever you want. Cause you've already paid for as much food as you want to consume. So what, my, what I, I had a, I had a two tray approach. One tray would just be uh, like bowls of cereal with whole milk. So oh my I, God. Cause I love cereal. I'm former, well, you know, fat kid. Right. So like, um, I would get, I would get like two bowls of lucky charms, a, a bowl of cocoa pebbles uh, or cocoa puffs, whatever, a bowl of frosted flakes, a bowl of what captain crunch or like, I would get like five or six bowls of cereal in whole milk, eat all of those, then eat my regular meal so whatever whatever that was, was like your pre meal that was like my pre meal just to get my calories up and and then i would eat like whatever i was having for food which was like you know eggs and bacon for breakfast you know eggs and bacon and pancakes or whatever for breakfast or like salad and tacos and whatever for lunch and whatever dinner was right but like at every meal i had my plate of my tray of regular food but i had a tray of just like cereal and milk because that was the one thing that even when I wasn't hungry or whatever, I would still eat because it tasted so good. And I loved it um, that I would just eat it. I would just pound those calories because I needed those calories to keep my weight up um, in the 280 plus range, like two between 280 and 300 is where my coaches wanted me to play. Um, they would have loved to see me at 300 plus, uh, but I couldn't, I just I, like, I'm six foot nothing, you know? And honestly, I think my ideal playing weight was probably 260. That's what I played at as a freshman. And that was when I felt like the, the best combination of strong, mobile, and 
healthy. Maybe that's just the accumulation of injuries over time. But, you know, my freshman year of college is when I remember being my best combination of strong, agile, light, fast. You know, I wasn't light. I mean, it's 260 pounds, but I felt like my best that like my, and that's what I walk around at now is between 250 and 260. Okay. Um, that's you can still, carry the weight though. That's kind of what you're saying. You were yeah, comfortable fe- carrying that I weight. Felt, yeah. I could like, I mean, at 260 pounds, I had a 30 inch vertical. I, I benched 450. I squatted five. I, I ran a five flat 40. So like, I wasn't, I wasn't like, that's combine numbers right there. Like I could, I could do okay. Like, you know, um, but when I got 280, 290 plus, like my speed went down to five, three, five, four, you know, like I, I slowed down a lot. My agility went down a lot. Like I just couldn't move as well. And I didn't like it. I didn't, yeah, your mobility, joints, your cardio ability, just couldn't more, carry that just, extra. Yeah. I just couldn't carry all that extra weight. Like I don't have the frame to carry that, that heavy of a weight and, you know, so but that's but when you're going up against a guy who's 6'3, 320, like there's a 60 pound difference if you're playing at 260, and there's a you know, there, there's a 40 pound difference if you're playing at 280. So I understand what my coaches were trying to do. They were just saying you need more mass to go against the guys that you're competing against day in and day out, like you need to be heavier. Uh, it, I just never felt as effective at that weight, but I understand the, the, the push and pull between yeah, and in a perfect world. If you can carry all your positive attributes to this weight, that would be lovely. Yeah. Like, that would be but great, I can't. but I can't, like, no, it, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't it, do it. It doesn't work do that it. way. Same thing. Yeah. Rugby, my coaches. Yeah. You know, first team lock, you're saying you should be about 275. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, hundred okay. pounds heavier than I was than I was five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, like, oh, I'll, I'll just I'll just tack on another twenty five pounds. Yeah. No problem. I should be. Able to and that's why that's back. why I didn't play college baseball. By the way, is because the college football coaches wanted me to play at two eighty, and the college baseball coaches wanted me to play at two twenty to two thirty. I was like, Are you saying you couldn't just lose and gain sixty pounds like that? I, so I did, so I did track and field for the first two years. And then the same guy that I was talking about, Scott Romans came out and I was trying to get over 50 feet on the shot put. Um, nice. and I was, I was, I was right there. I was like right on the fringe of it and he hadn't been doing track at all. And he came out on his first day of practice, uh, two weeks after the start of the season and decided he was going to come out for track and field. Cause our coach was after him and he threw it a foot past me and hit over 50 feet, you know, on the first day of practice. And I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to play rugby <laughs> because the rugby team had been after me for two years to come play to come play prop so so i i i decided i was going to go play rugby instead because i i couldn't i couldn't get my ass kicked by scott in the spring too i just couldn't handle it mentally. so i want to transition to kill but you know i'm a rugby guy you're a rugby guy we bonded over this were you tight head or were you loose head or did you play both loose loose only and that's because my freshman year of college i had my i had my left shoulder surgically reconstructed i uh i dislocated it over 20 times I continued to play um, my because I was on a football scholarship and I and I was starting as a freshman I didn't want to lose my starting job so the fact that my shoulder was coming out of socket regularly did not matter um, I braced it up and I continued playing um, I actually played with my shoulder out of socket on a two-point <laughs> conversion um, so we, we talked about this about half an hour ago I did something pretty stupid and similar yeah yeah so my my shoulder my shoulder for the first time it came out and stayed out before it had it would pop out and it would come back in um which got less and less painful the more often it happened 
uh, until it was coming out when I would just put on a t-shirt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it came out and stayed out and I tried to take myself out of the game, but we had just scored a touchdown on the play that it came out. Um, I got, I got the middle linebacker, by the way, um, with my left arm, which is what put my shoulder out of socket. Um, I got, I got up to my block um, on the second level, which is what got us in the end zone. Um, so good on me. <laughs> and then my shoulder, you, you, you earned it. My shoulder stayed out of socket. And I was trying to take myself out of the game. I was running towards the sideline um, to, to tell the coach, like, hey, my shoulder's out of socket. And he's like, no, no. He thought I was coming off because I thought we were kicking an extra point. And he's like, no, we're going for two. We're going for two. So he's giving me the, I only you know, have the two, one shoulder. The two fingers. He's giving me the two fingers. And I didn't tell him, like, no, my shoulder's out. I was just, and I didn't think, like, I'm not smart enough to just go down to the ground and have the reps stop the game because I'm no. injured, right? No, coach is saying go back in the game because we're going okay. for two. So I go in, I go in and line up. <laughs> I, I snapped the ball with my with my left shoulder out of socket and I go get my block on the middle linebacker again. This time I just took him out at the knees and <laughs> I got my block on the middle linebacker and we made our two point conversion and, and we scored. Uh, and then I came out and the and the trainers were like, Yeah, no, you're you're done. You're done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. I, I I know I tried to take myself out last play and uh, you know, <laughs> so but I made the block. But I got it, but I got my job done. Yeah, I yeah. did my, I did my job. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I don't remember where we started this actually, but uh, yeah. No, no, I was, I just, I was, that was the whole thing. And, you know, we're, we're kind of going to get into like, so we'll fast forward just a little bit. So, I mean, you're power lifter, you're playing college ball, you're running combine numbers, you're going up against a massive nose tackle. Somehow you've gone from this to kettlebell sport. <laughs> Bridge that gap for us. Yeah, I know. Small question. I like asking small, exact questions. I'm no, sure it's you perfect. No, it's perfect. I love it. Open-ended questions. Um, yeah, so uh, I herniated two discs in my back with two games left in my senior season. Um, I was so close. After having played full contact football um, for almost 14 years, Jeez. Um, I, I, I herniated two discs in my back in like game six or seven of my senior year, I popped a whole bunch of Vicodin and kept playing with an injured back, which is great. Um, don't do that. No. And, and, uh, but I started losing feeling in one of my legs and took myself out at halftime of game number eight of my senior season and never stepped on a football field again. And when you're cleaved from one half of your identity that abruptly and not on your own terms, like I was fully prepared to be done playing football at the end of the season, but not in the way that it happened. Um, so I went into this kind of deep depression and uh, started, well, I shouldn't say started, continued in abusing painkillers and drinking um, way more than any 20 year old should in combination at least. So you were 20 when this was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, that I went to a really dark place. I put on a whole bunch of weight. Um, so from <laughs> when I, when I was a month removed from the college football season in November, I was like 280 pounds. Um, by February I was 330 pounds. Um, by a year later I was over 370 pounds. Um, and, and I got really, so I got really, really fat <laughs> and I, and I, uh, I was fortunate enough that, uh, I discovered, well, I had met my wife, you know, um, she was my fiance, you know, 
my girlfriend at the time, I decided I wanted to make her my fiance and then eventually my wife, obviously. Um, and I also decided I didn't want to be a, a fat piece of shit at my own wedding. So, so I was going to lose a whole bunch of weight and I had discovered kettlebells, um, before that and started training kettlebells a little bit as part of an adjunct, like just circuit training, weightlifting, high intensity interval training. Yep. And I lost like, I lost like 80 pounds in the first six months or so, um, training, training that way. Um, and then I got laid off from my job, <laughs> which was, which was great. Um, and so my part-time job, which had been working at a, at a supplement store, um, to, to save extra money for our wedding became my full-time job. <laughs> and, and while I was, while I was working in the supplement store, I, I studied for the NASM CPT and I got my CPT and I went and worked, started working at Lifetime Fitness. And, uh, one of my, one of my managers there was, uh, an RKC instructor. And he, he was like, oh, well, you, you've done kettlebells a little bit before you should try this, you know? And so we started doing Turkish get-ups and he showed me long cycle and he showed me snatch and he was like, well, you know, the, the secret service snatch test is 10 minutes, uh, nonstop. You know, that was the, with a 24 kilo kettlebell. That was the secret service snatch test. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, you know, and he was like, have you ever seen kettlebell sport? And I was like, no, what is, what is that? And he showed, so he showed me a, a YouTube video and, um, <laughs> and I saw, um, I, I don't even remember who it was that he showed me, but it was one of the old school heavyweight Russian kettlebell uh, champions, you know, 32 kilos, lo double long cycle for 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, that looks super cool. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, I can do that because even, even though I got super fat, I never stopped lifting. I was still really strong. You right. know, and as you know, you know, uh, weight moves weight. So even if, you know, when I was 350 pounds, like I was still benching over 400 and squatting over 500 and you know so i was still pretty i was still yeah, the muscles still there i was you, still i was still strong um but, so in my head i was like oh yeah they're like oh he's doing double 32s you want me to do double 24s for 10 minutes i can do that and i was like sure no problem yeah that's that's what i thought in my head it always looks easy when someone else does it, it looks right? easy when you see it on youtube and oh and, so easy and he, and, dennis and, vasilov oh well, that guy didn't even break a yeah sweat. yeah and so he was he was like yeah dude, you know give me a 10 minute we fine you can do 10 minutes give me a 10 minute long cycle set with the 24s and i was like okay cool and i came out like you know any 20 three-year-old asshole would and uh you know i was banging out 10 12 reps uh in the first minute and then and then 11 in minute two and then seven in minute three and you know i don't i don't i don't even know what i, I like i know i got somewhere around 60 reps in like in the first in the first five and a half minutes but none of them would have counted in competition like 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 let's make no mistake about this like i had no form i had no idea what i was doing it was pushing just, on the rebound no yeah, it was just it was just my it was just my you know my manager who was a marine uh laughing at me while i was trying to prove that i could make the full 10 minutes and he knew what was coming um but i didn't because i was a 23 year old asshole and uh you know i i i, I and, and i'll be honest a lot of like even my rugby buddies they look at kettlebells like oh they're light yeah. how hard is that i'm like try it yeah, I, I made one it to minute like, is one thing. Try I made it to like minutes. minute six and could literally could not push another rep anymore. I, I dropped the bells 
And then I like just laid down on the floor in the, in the angel position, heaving, like, just like, (sighs) you know, and I'm like just dying. And I'm like, so um, I can't believe that I couldn't finish the 10 minutes. And then the, like, and then the, the lights start to come in, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, what's happening? Oh, I'm going to throw up. (laughs) I knew at first I was like, wait, what's happening? And then I was like, oh, wait, I know exactly what's happening. I'm going to puke. And so I got, I got up off of the floor uh, at Lifetime Fitness uh, and ran out the door. And I I was a personal trainer. Like I was a professional fitness. I was a fitness professional at this point. And I like in my own gym had to, (laughs) the gym that I trained clients in, I had to get up off of the middle of the fitness floor, run out the door and throw up because I, I, yeah, because I embarrassed myself and couldn't, and couldn't do what I thought I could do because my ego was, uh, was, was too big. It's amazing uh, how two bells can squash egos so quickly. And from there I was hooked. I knew this was love (laughs) because it, because it just, uh, but it was, it was literally the hardest thing. Like, I was just like, I suck at this. Like I can't, I have this. I was like, I have to be, I have to be able to do this. I have to be able to do this. Right. Like, and, and now, uh, you know, fast forward, you know, uh, whatever, 13 years or whatever, 12 years, something like that. And, um, yeah, my best output with uh, the double 24s on long cycle is 68 reps, uh, in practice, never in an official competition. So (laughs) I've improved by maybe a handful of, (laughs) of reps in that many, in that many years, but they're, they're, they're actually quality, you know, count would count with fixation and everything. So, but yeah, that's, that's how I initially discovered kettlebell sport. And like, I, I got hooked, uh, fairly early. That was, you know, way back in 2000. 2008 um and or 2009 and then i got my first i got my first kettlebell certification from world kettlebell club in 2009 from Catherine imes and then had uh, valeri federenko come out to my gym uh in 2010 and got more got that's a fantastic couple, couple more certifications in 2010 and i've been at it ever since so it's it's been over a decade now of you know lifting kettlebells and uh i've i've kept off the hunt you know the hundred pound weight loss i've kept off for over a decade now and kettlebells is kettlebell sport in in particular but kettlebells just in general has really been the key to that because it's like you work it into the entire program of nutrition and activity and sleep and all this and it all works well it's the it's the competition piece of it right like from from a competitive athlete like I couldn't, I couldn't get away from that. Like if I, if I just work out to work out, it seems pointless to me. No, 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 no point. But if I have something that I have to go compete in and I have to step onto the field, you know, I've got to, I've got to step on the platform and perform it. That, that is enough to get me in the gym three to five times a week, pushing myself to, to that same point, like damn near throwing up, you know, I'm, 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 I'm ready to go to that to that dark place several times a week, just for the sake of competition, <laughs> just for the sake of, you know, of, of getting that feeling again, of being under the lights, uh, even though I'm an old man, <laughs> I can't, I can't do that shit anymore. Yeah, But we have old man strength, which the yeah. youth don't understand. <laughs> well, they will eventually if they're lucky, if they stick. Oh with my it. God. So I had a bunch of other stuff, but we're, we're getting a little tight. So I want to ask one more question. 
You can, you, we can go, we can go over. I don't care. I don't know. That's okay. Perfect. Okay. I got three more questions that here we go. We just reload here a little bit. Just a little bit of the dirty. This bird. is, this is, this is going to be my birthday episode. I'm going to, I'm going to be 38 years old when this episode drops. This is, it's I remember be... when I was 38 last year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've gotten to maybe you're okay. Even if it's the answer, give me something else. I want to know about your best personal kettlebell lift, not coaching, not something you experienced, not something you watched. Jordan underneath the bells. I don't care if it's practice by yourself, one armed. What is one of the you put down the bells with that set and you were the happiest you've been with a set? What was it? Um that's a great question. Um, thank you. Uh I I think it was honestly the I finished 140 reps in 10 minutes on jerk with double twenties. Holy crap. Dennis, Dennis, uh, was, I, I had been trying to train for, for a 24, a, uh, for a 24 kilo triathlon and Dennis, and Dennis, uh, Dennis Vasilov was my coach and, and we had been pushing for that. And I had continued to, to miss the numbers he was putting for me on the 24s and, and like any good coach, he was like, I don't think you're ready for the 24s. And he backed me down to the twenties, yeah. um, which was a blow to my ego. Um, but I, I was like, okay, you know, it's Dennis Vasilov. What are you going to say? <laughs> you know, well, he's, he's your coach. You, you know, say? he's, he's your coach and you know, he's Dennis Vasilov. Like what, what does he know other than everything? Everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, he backed me down to the twenties and, and I pushed, uh, and I was working, I was working on twenties for several months, but he had consistently been pushing me at, at 14 plus RPMs on jerk on the, on the twenties, 14, 14, big pace. 14 to 14 to 20 RPMs, depending on the length of the set was. So if we were doing a longer set, my pace was 14 RPMs. And if we were doing shorter sets, it was 16, 18 or 20 plus, depending on how short the set was. And so I had been working on, I had been working on my capacity on jerks, um, for a long time and, and it was time for a test set and, uh, you know, he had, he had me at, you know, 14 RPMs for the full 10 minutes on jerk. Uh, and he had me, he had me at 20 RPMs on snatch for, for, uh, for the 20. So the goal was 200 snatch and a, and a hundred and 140 plus on, on jerk. Uh, and I, I, I hit hundred, I hit 140. Exactly. I hit 140 exactly on the nose. Uh, uh, so that was probably, yeah, that was, that was the, that was the jerk set. I was, I was probably most, that, that was the, the kettlebell set. I was most proud of. We won't talk about the snatch set. I didn't, I didn't hit, I didn't hit 200 on the snatch after. Well, having you're, it. you're not one of those weirdos like me that prioritize snatch. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't get well, it. It was, you know, in biathlon though, like snatch gets you half the points that the jerk does. So like it made, oh. it made more sense to, and I'm better at jerk. I'm just like, I'm a masochist. The localized suffering is easier for me than, than the, the, the heart rate. And well, I, it's, it's that quote you said, and you brought up and during uh, Andrew's interview, it's like jerk is the frame. How much punishment can you take as an O-line men? You can take it, you know, as long cycle, it's the engine, how much rev do you have? And then snatch is, the driver, the technical, yeah. the OCD stuff. So you just yeah. gripped it and ripped it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I suffered through it. And honestly, like, <laughs> you know, like any kettlebell sport asshole, I was like, I could have done more. Oh. <laughs> like that. I was like, I was like, I could have hit 150. I, I don't think I any kettle, show me a kettlebell sport athlete that's ever been happy with a set. <laughs> 
back in 82, I could have thrown a football over the mountains there. Oh, yeah. I could have thrown if I, if I was got a chance to start, we would have, we would have won states. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of, yeah. It was one of, but yeah, that's probably the, that's probably the one I was most, probably most proud of because I didn't, uh, I didn't think I could do it when he, when he, when I saw it on the paper, I was like 14 RPMs for the entire 10 minutes. I don't think I can do that. Yeah, You uh, crazy, was, crazy man. I was like, I was like, you, no, there's no way, but I hit it and I was like, okay. Yeah. You know, so I, and I've, I've never done better than that in a jerk set. So, no, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So getting to a topic close to my heart and something we've talked about a lot, especially since we're coming up in October. I'm going to be home brewing a beer for your company because you know I work at a brewery. I brew. I need you to go it's pronounce brewery. Brewery, eh? Um, I need you to go on a tangent right now about your favorite fermented beverages. Oh God. Um, all right. So for context, um, Matt works in a brewery, and brewery. I, I am a, a trained bartender. Um, so I actually, I did not know. I actually worked at a bar, uh, in college. That's a, like a high end wine bar and gourmet food. And so I got trained by people who know what they're doing. And then I worked in, when I graduated, I worked in Chicago as a bartender. Um, so I I actually am a work in Chicago. Well, I was a bartender and then I was a bouncer. Um, so that's a whole (laughs) other, it's a whole other tangent, but, um, so I, I love all things alcoholic. My family has what we call the disease. Um, and you know, I come from a long line of degenerate gamblers and drunks. Um, but I, we're going to have a good time in Vegas. Yeah. I, I, so yeah, I, I do love myself a fermented beverage. Um, and I love myself, uh, you know, anything alcoholic really, but, um, so what are your favorite styles? I mean, like uh, when it comes, so if we're talking beer, um, I, I prefer, I prefer malt forward beers, but I'm also seasonal. Like I'm that, that's, and that's, part, that's part of the, like working at a high end restaurant and everything. Like when you see like how food, food and wine pair together, and then you learn all about how different beers are made and you learn how different beer profiles pair with different food profiles. Like you, you, you understand combinations of flavor profiles, but in general, I like, I like, uh, I like less hops I don't like high IBUs. Um, I don't, well, I shouldn't say I don't like, I just, it depends on the context. They're not um, your, your preference. They're, they're not I'm, my I'm preference. If, if I'm just drinking a beer for the enjoyment of the beer, I like Belgian triples. Okay. I like German Maybox. Yep. I like German Marzins um, yep. or, or American Marzins. I like malt forward beers a lot. I love a good lager that is that is flavorful, but a lot of lagers, especially in the States, are very watery and very simple and not really well profiled. Yeah, you like craft lagers. I like craft lagers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well stated. Um, well, and, and they don't have to be craft in that they're fancy, but like there are some really good lagers here in Minnesota that are made in the German tradition that are very flavorful and not, I don't like macro brewed lagers is probably the best way to say it. Honestly, the, the problem with the macro brewed is they're brewed that everyone doesn't not like them. Any good beer should have, or wine or spirit should have people that don't like it because it's not their palate. Yeah. Which is great. Could be well-made. Smithwick's amazing beer. I don't like it. Not for, oh, I love it. I love Smithwick's. Uh, Malbuck. Like Mal, you, you give, you say, Hey, I got six options. One's a Malbuck. Not for you. Yeah. No, and, and, and we're and, and and I'm and I'm the guy that's like somebody's like oh I got this double hopped 
IPA that's phenomenal with mosaic and, and yeah, 95 IBU double and West like, Coast IPA. No, I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Oh, no, give me, give me the shandy. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> you know, what's I'm just, the wine list tonight? Um, but so, yeah, so I, I just, I very, I like, I like malt for Oktoberfest is my favorite style yeah. of beer, especially in the fall. I don't drink it all the time, although I have at times hoarded cases of Oktoberfest and like stored it in my storage room so that I can drink it later in the year than it's available. Um, but that's partially because I live in Minnesota and fall lasts and fall and winter last forever. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm kind of always in the mood for those, but I love a good milk stout. Um, mm-hmm. Like dragon's milk is one of my favorite. Oh, left, so good. Left hand nitro milk stout is another yep. great one. That's a great, just dark wintry smooth vanilla caramely, you know, uh, but you know, and then when we get into summer, I like moving more towards a lighter citrusy hoppy, uh, you know, profile lager, you know, I like lagers and I like Rattlers and, uh, but I love Belgian triples. I love Belgian doubles. Like you and I, you and I very much have, ta- you know, we've connected on, yeah. on how much, like, I love a good Belgian triple so much. Like right I, now I have, I have, delirium last, I have six last gallons night, of know. triple, uh, Belgian triple fermenting in my basement. Yes. So that, yeah. that will hopefully make the trip. Um, oh no there'll be another batch that's not going to last october you no no i mean make the, uh, sorry i mean make the make the trip in that it will finish fermenting well and uh make the trip in the brewing process not oh, make yeah. the trip not make the trip i don't expect it to make the trip from now to october well, the, the i batch. fully i fully expect that you brew uh at least three other batches like one for the one for everyone one for you and one for me and and those <laughs> that is such the type five thing it's like we brought stuff for other people but the rest is for us yeah how many rooks for you in today exactly yeah fuck off fuck off fly half yeah exactly so cute put your hair gel go go do your zulu run because you scored all of the tries the rest of us while the rest of us were working up for them (laughs) okay last question and you know exactly the question that's coming do you want to say it or should i uh, the, so the question is if you could give yourself one piece of advice or if you could give a new lifter one piece of advice, what is it? You know it? what? Let's break it up into two. Okay. You can go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice. What mm. would you give? Mm. I honestly, and I'm, I'm going to go a different direction than a lot of people do because a lot of people don't give themselves advice. I would say you don't have to play offensive line. You can be lighter. No, I'm serious. I'm, yeah. I'm no, being it, total, totally serious. Because um, I think one of the mistakes that that happened for me in my life was that I was I'm six foot nothing. And like my my brother, my brother, Jason is 160. He was 165, 175 pound quarterback. My brother, JJ, was 185 pound wide receiver. And I was a 260 pound offensive lineman because I made myself into that. I, my my sophomore year, I was 200 pounds. My junior year, I was 265 pounds. Like you I, made a conscious I made myself into that by deciding I was going to break all of my all of my high school's weightlifting records and eat like a fucking madman and be in the gym by 6 a.m. every day in the off season, all of those things. Like I could have just as easily committed myself to being a 225 pound linebacker slash running back and been at a much healthier weight for my frame and been a much better expression of my athletic capability. Um, so that's a really great realization where just because you had that frame didn't mean you had to have it and you could have taken action. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could like so if I if I could tell my my younger self something, it'd be like, you don't have to you don't have to do what your coaches tell you they want you to do if you don't feel comfortable that like even and even in college, like they were pushing me to be 280, 300, and I could have just said, No, I want to play at 250. And if it caught like if I couldn't get the job done at 250 pounds, even though it was the best expression of my athleticism, then that's on me. But I would have been healthier. But I even say it's on the coaches. Well, there's that, but you know, but it's also hard, like when you're 19, 20, 21 years old, like to tell your coaches, no, this, I know to have that that level of autonomy over what you think is best. Right. Like I'm, you know, I have a bad history of being a people pleaser, especially a coach pleaser, you know, and, and wanting to do whatever my coaches say. So that would be the advice I would give my younger self. Um, if I'm going to give the next new lifter that comes into the gym, they want to get in good at kettlebell sports. What do you tell them? What's the first sit down? The, the first, the first thing I would tell any new lifter getting into this sport is master the technique first and the weight will come. Trust that technique trumps weight because the the biggest mistake I see in this sport over and over and over again, and I'm guilty of it myself. And, you know, you just heard my story of, whoa, right. Is we come in with an ego thinking that we need to do a particular weight based on our ability or based on our strength or what we think is the right weight for us. And the technicians always win. There's a reason Dennis Facilla has never been beaten. And it's not just his freak genetics. It's that every single rep looks the same at this point in his career. And it's not because his, his technique has always been perfect. Go back and look at his sets from 2006, 2008, 2009. You see progression. He, his technique was not great. And it's gotten better and better and better and better and better and more precise. And, and you see that the people that focus on perfecting the craft of the technique are the people that last. So the number one advice I would give to any new lifter is focus first on the technique, be a technician and the weight will come. You will get stronger by virtue of the programming, by virtue of time and consistency. But if you focus on getting perfect technique as soon as possible, you will get better so much faster than anybody thinks that you can because you just almost focus on the process results come. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and as much as I hate quoting my college offensive line coach, because he was kind of a dick. uh, If you focus on all of the little things, the big things take care of themselves. Focus on the details and the big things take care of themselves. He was a dick. Okay, sure. I am officially going to hand you back over the reins of your own show. So thank you for letting me take it over. Um, I know from talking to all sorts of lifters that wait anxiously every single week for the next episode that we wanted to really kind of get a, get a hold of you and really just distill down everything we've heard over the 40 somewhat episodes. So honestly, we really appreciate it. And I, I had a blast doing this. This is uh, it's fun throwing questions at someone that uh, has to answer them because it's being recorded. Thank you. I, I, appreciate you hijacking my podcast and uh i <laughs> and the the pressure from from the rev4 group to put my, put my own uh details out there i i do i do genuinely appreciate it and it was this was a lot of fun for me too so thank you very much matt i appreciate you man no problem anytime my man so get some sleep get ready for that vacation have fun with the family and uh at any point you uh don't want control of your show uh 
the RAV4 group will happily take it over for you. All right. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Cheers, brother. All right. See you, dude. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Cundy-Wright. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. Please don't forget to register for the Twin Cities Kettlebell Open on our website, TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And if you have a question or a suggestion, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club. And if you want to step onto the platform and compete in kettlebell sport, please reach out to me. Until next time.